Okay, it's recording now. Perfect. Hello, Natalie. Hey, Sophie. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I am literally <laughs> just coming out of a, a doctor health thing situation, um, but I'm okay. I'm alive. And yeah, I feel like very thankful. And we're about to jump into legislative season, so thankful. Oh, but- my goodness. Yes. Yes. Natalie, welcome to our very first episode in which we are documenting and sharing this documentation of anti-trans legislation and everybody who pushed back against it. We hate it. We hate it. We love them. Here's our opening segment. Well, you just basically you get on, you, you know, if you get on any of the uh, YouTubes or, or whatever, there's a lot of brainwashing going on with what our children are watching on iPhones and iPads and everything like that. When these bills are introduced, whether they pass or not, they pollute the discourse and have an impact on trans people's health and well-being. You have to be in an environment where your life, your rights, are being discussed as if it's an object, as if it's even up for discussion. Like, you're literally being debated. And I'm going to tell you, hands down, legislator after legislator, legislator has just been the voices, the people, the visibility has been everything. I've never seen organizing as powerful and rad-based as organizing in the South. And so I think that we are a point of view model. Let's Okay, so again, this is the first episode of our short podcast series on the resistance to anti-trans bills in Louisiana. And it seems like a good idea to start with some context. Yeah. So people will know the things. Yeah. Oh, wait. Were you even looking to me to give context? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I suppose I just paused, but, you know, we're thinking about context, right? Because the, the larger project, we're looking at mostly the 2021 and 2022 legislative sessions. Mm-hmm. And, and the changes that have happened in Louisiana during this time. And the changes that have happened nationally during the last several years. Mm-hmm. But also, Natalie, Louisiana has never been a utopia for trans people. Exactly. We know that to be true. We know that to be true. In fact, there's just been all sorts of nasty things on the books for a very, very long time. One of the big things that we'll talk about here, because we had an opportunity to talk to people who know a lot about it, mm-hmm. is the Crimes Against Nature by Solicitation Act. That law, which is regularly referred to as CANS, provides some context to resistance in the state also, I think. So now is a really interesting time for you and I to be talking about this because that law has been on the books for a while. There's been significant resistance to it, luckily, and we can talk more about that in a second. And there's also a beautiful documentary about that. Awesome. Shout out to Wendy Cooper. We love you. The New Yorker recently published an account of this Cans Can't Stand documentary. So let's do, let's just hear a little bit more about the Crimes Against Nature law. This is Wendy Cooper telling us a little bit about the, the context of that. The Crime Against Nature law, this was something that, it was an experience that affected me about 20-something years ago. And so just to give people a little history about the Crime Against Nature. So Crime Against Nature is a law that it dates back into the 1800s, the early 1800s. This law was used to 
punish folks for engaging in, you know, sexual activities that is not procreative, right? If you was caught, you know, engaging in them type of sex acts during that time, you was, you would be punished. And so 1982, Louisiana decided to resurrect the crime against nature law by, and, and added solicitation to it. And they, they was very strategic on how they was, they was going to write that law without saying that they are, they are discriminating against this particular community, right? And so what they did was they began to add solicitations to crime against nature, and then they began to add compensation to the law. Prosecutors and a lot of police officers used that law to weaponize, right? A community that was marginalized, which is the LGBTQ community. And so... You didn't even have to be engaging in sex work. Just being LGBTQ identified individual, you was able to get stopped and be, and be charged with crime against nature by solicitation. And so the law did a lot of harm, right, to the LGBTQ plus population, particularly to Black and poor communities. So hundreds of individuals, largely in New Orleans, right, were forced to register as sex offenders due to this law, which is which is, this is my important um, analysis. That's, that's fucked up. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that we need to dwell a whole lot on it, but being able to do basically anything when you're a registered sex offender is particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even like having a list of registered sex offenders in a particular way <clears throat> doesn't, isn't surely meant to like rehabilitate or like keep anyone safer more so than it is to like isolate people from society. In a particular way, maybe. Would you like to say a little bit more about Wendy? I know that most yes. of what we have from yes, right. Most of what we have from Wendy is actually coming from a wonderful interview that you did with her. So yeah, was, yeah. Let's talk about this. So, so so thankful um to be able to do this interview with Wendy. And so yeah, Wendy and I talked about a bunch of different things, but some of the most important things that came from that interview is that Wendy A has been doing organizing work for basically twenty plus years, and basically Wendy is someone who is who started out like, you know, working with the girls. I remember her, she had a program called Girl with a Pearl at Women with the Vision that I went to one time. Um, and she's done a lot of specifically, like a lot of organizing specifically for like women in general and black trans women specifically. And a lot of her work goes into the systems of incarceration and systems of criminal justice, quote unquote. And then building the folks power to navigate those systems. So like giving them the resources that they need, providing them with access to education, um, and just in general, Wendy is a really stand-up person who you will want to be like next to, who you want to be like in the movement with, who you will be laughing with, who can cook down. Um, I think some of the biggest and one of the most important things that came out of our interview is that she has such deep love and affirmation for her community, but mostly for her family. She's a mother of three um, really bright and like high-achieving kids. <laughs> and so she's just a possibility model for so many trans folks on what their lives can be. And yeah, we love you, Wendy. She's the founder and executive director of Transcending Women. Like Sophie said earlier, you can find her in a New Yorker because she's a boss bitch. And overall, like she's just a powerful. Oh, she also has a master's degree too. I'm like, she's an educated woman. I'm like, and so yeah, Wendy's one of those people who you look to um, when you're like, oh, that's what my life could be like, possibly. And so that's just a little bit more on Wendy. And so up until 2011, you know, 
me and eight other plaintiffs who challenge it, challenge the state of Louisiana, but we challenge it as a John and Jane Doe, we won, right? <laughs> and so I was happy. I was happy the fact that I didn't have to deal with that anymore, but I wasn't completely happy because I still was a person who had a felony conviction right. on their record, right? And so you are, when you have that type of status, you know, you're unable to get a job, you're unable to get into a, a, a nice apartments, mm-hmm. you know, you're unable to get into places that that requires you not to have you know that type of status i wanted people to see that like this is the system that we have to deal with but this is the system that we have to vote for this is the system that we have to vote to make sure that because they give us fake promises and we have to vote and then once we vote for them then they renege and they turn their backs on us. Exactly, that part. Right? And so I wanted people to see that this system that you see, it operates under antiquation. It's mm-hmm. very old. Mm-hmm. It's afraid of progression because of the, 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 the wrong that they have sold into this world for so many years mm-hmm. and they're afraid to to rewrite their wrongs that wanted people to see this is the system that as black trans women this is what we have to face the can scan stand campaign alongside community of trans organizers and in operation restoration which is an organization that is around that directly addresses the criminal justice system as it relates to women and re-entry, they do a lot of different programs around that. And the goal of Can't Can't Stand is to remove the felony conviction imposed on those convicted by the crimes against nature laws. As we know, the legal system is meant to put barriers in the way of particular communities, and this is a perfect example, y'all. This work that they did at Can't Can't Stand in operational restoration led to their founding of Transcending Women, um, which I said earlier, Wendy is executive director. And... In the future episode, in, uh, for Last Call website, on our Places of Black Trans Joy, you hear a lot more about transcending women. We encourage you to check out Wendy's documentary. It's interesting because this bill didn't actually mention transgender people, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is going to be one of the big changes that we see coming up as we talk about changes happening nationally. But this bill was definitely used to target that population, right? exactly. the LGBTQ plus population, primarily the, the black LGBTQ plus population. Also, this is an example in which we can see a lot of the resistance being built around it, a lot of the pushback happening, a lot of the organizing coming out and really making significant changes, right? The fight for this isn't over, but um, the law doesn't look the same as it did. It's not as punitive as it was. And I think that's one good example. Another good example is what was happening at a breakout. Um, and I know that you were you were part of this to varying degrees, I think, at different times. So I wonder if you would be willing to just explain this to us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I sure can. So it just shows you to relate. So like, while like we're here to talk about like legislative organizing in a particular way, we also know that all of it is intertwined. And so that like the legislative system empowers police officers through their laws, the laws that they create to then go out and be like, 
preservers of capital are to protect like white supremacist ideals are to protect like people who have like lots of capital or money. And so one of the ways that this would manifest is that police in New Orleans and kind of across the country would be uh, harassing and attacking like LGBTQ folks, but particularly black trans women, um, because they would be walking around with like condoms in their pockets or they would be walking around like their shirts would be a certain length and they would be in certain areas known as prostitution areas. And of course, these could be people who would just be walking to go get something and drink or they can just be walking home from school. And so people were being harassed by the police, being assumed to be doing all types of things when they could have just been going to get a drink. And then not only were they being harassed, they were then being solicited for sex. They were then being misgendered. They were then being moved with in violent ways. And so an organization called Breakout, which um, I wasn't there at the founding of this organization, but an organization in 2011 called Breakout came and they were like, actually, yo, slow your roll. Hold on. It's a whole lot happening here. And so um, I came around in around 2012 after they had started to form policy, will become policy 402 and to help them to advocate, to like add some language to it, but then to also, um, I want to say like rally for approval and passel. And so, yeah, I feel like the things that we're hearing, like the same types of laws that we're hearing about the crimes against nature laws and the way that police are interacting with people are very much so in alignment with each other. And so while in Baton Rouge, they were writing these laws and passing them in the streets of New Orleans, this is how it manifested, harassment to trans and queer individuals. So the policy includes protocols for stopping and searching transgender individuals and mandates that officers be trained on issues pertaining to the LGBTQ community. Most importantly, the policy specifically mandates that officers shall not use an individual's actual or perceived gender identity or sexual orientation as reasonable suspicion or probable cause that an individual is or has engaged in any crime. And so basically what that is saying is that you can't use my gender identity or my sexual orientation just to assume that I'm doing anything if I'm in any particular part of the city because there was a lot of assumption of what people were doing based upon who they were or if they could afford to be in that area or what would they be doing there at this time of night. Like I'm doing, like people were doing the same thing y'all were doing. People were going dancing, having drinks, enjoying themselves. This is the French Quarter. Like, why would we not be? Of course, now we can look back on it and be like, yeah, this is actually one of the most comprehensive bills that have been passed in the country around policing and its relationship to trans folks. Um, and we know a lot more now than we did then. We know that policies aren't going to be the thing that get us to freedom. Um, they were never going to be that. But they are an instrumental tool, just like legislative organizing is an instrumental tool in moving the needle forward. And so... Um, it was really cool to be in those rooms with people who were like power mapping and who were like identifying who the candidates were. We were training ourselves on how to be PR people. I remember I did my first interview here. And so, yeah, through this work, Cans Can't Stand and Breakout will be planting seeds for people coming together and pushing up against systems bigger than us, basically. I like what you said about how no policy is really going to save us. No legislative work is really going to save us. But they are instrumental, right? And and they're both connected, like you said, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you see the police acting out the laws that are passed in the Capitol. And speaking of the laws that are passed in the Capitol, Natalie, Jesus Christ, the laws that are passed in this Capitol. So let's, <laughs> let's do a little bit, a little bit more context, right? We're going to think a little bit. So that's Louisiana. That shit's been going on 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. And the battles are being fought here around these things. But for the most part, 
we're not seeing a lot of legislation coming through the Louisiana State House that are trans specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is true even when it starts to kick up across the country. So just we're thinking again about North Carolina. We're thinking about those bathroom bills. We're thinking about all the other states that sort of followed suit with that. And in Louisiana, we didn't really see that happen. And I think there's a lot of really wonderful reasons for that, which we'll talk about in future episodes. A lot of really beautiful insights that people have offered to us. But what I do want to say in the national trend to target trans folks, right? So Louisiana was able to slide under the radar for some time. And in fact, it wasn't until 2020 that the first specifically anti-trans bill was introduced in Louisiana. And we're going to start by listening to some thoughts from our interviewees during the course of this project about the national trends. And then we'll turn and we'll listen a little bit about what's happening specifically in Louisiana. To help us think about the national trends, let's hear briefly from some of the folks that we've interviewed over the last few years. First up, we'll hear from Anaya Robinson, who is the advocacy strategist at ACLU of Louisiana. After that, you hear from Corin Green, policy and legislative strategist at Equity Federation. And then after that, you hear Dylan Wagaspat, who has long been active in Louisiana legislative work and who is now chief executive director of True Colors United. Let's take a listen. In response to your question about Do I think there's a shift happening? Absolutely. Like, when you think about when these anti-trans bills started popping up all over the country, 2020, people really started to finally pay attention. Okay, this is weird. What is this? And then 2021, that was actually the highest number of anti-trans bills that was filed across the country. 2021 was the year that we saw the most. And they covered so many different things. They covered bathroom access. They covered updating your ID documents. It covered sports, healthcare access, all of these things. And unfortunately, in 2022, we broke that record. So this year, even more transphobic bills were filed than what was previously the record in 2021. There's definitely a multi-state effort to remove trans people from public life. That is clear, and there's really no denying that. I think that our opponents are exploiting two facts right now. They've identified that people are broadly unfamiliar with trans people and they are exploiting that. And then they know that people have an innate desire to defend children from things they don't understand. And so they've combined those two critical points that they've identified into this attacks on trans kids that they're able to use to drum up froth in their base. I think for the most part, it's pretty cynical. There are certainly some true believers, but I think a lot of the folks at the top don't really care and they just use it as a motivating issue. 2016, when we started seeing bathroom bills pop up, I thought this is the worst it's going to be, right? This is our really bad moment. It's here. It's arrived. We have to face it. We have to figure it out. And it was, don't get me wrong, it was incredibly distressing. It was very bad. And now I look back on that and I'm like, wow, things are so much worse. Oh, oh. politically in this moment. And that is the opposite of what I think a lot of people expected because we saw with 
gay rights, you know, this like incredibly rapid advancement over a period of a decade, basically, where we went from literal criminalization of same-sex relationships to marriage equality, right? In the course of you and I's lifetime, from our birth to young adulthood, that happened. And so I think that there was this like expectation that trans rights would follow the same pattern, but they never have. That's just like not, that's just not what this looks like. That's not what this it's not what this community is. And I think a lot of people were trying to sound that wording at the time that marriage became such an incredible, you know, like rallying cry in the like LGBTQ, not even Q, the LGB sort of centered equality. Yes. But we weren't really listened to. And so anyway, that goes back to like, Right now, things really are worse than they have been in a long time politically. But we have more visibility than we've ever had in U.S. history. And that's happening alongside this incredible vocal white supremacy movement and, and fascist movement that we're seeing across not just the South, but the entire fucking country. Mm -hmm. So that's the national stage. And that's what gets funneled down to the state level, to us here in Louisiana. We saw it in 2020, the first, the first anti-trans sports bill was introduced. But it, because it was 2020, everybody's focused on the pandemic, so nothing really happens. And then in 2021, we get more than ever. So we have two sports-related bills, two healthcare-related bills. Mm -hmm. And then all of them were defeated. And then 2022 was even worse. Mm -hmm. And all of them were, all of them again were defeated, except for that very original sports bill. So after three tries, they got it through. Uh, yeah. So three tries. And, and with the 2022 edition, an additional friend came along to don't say gay bill too. That's right. Yeah. So That's at true. first it was just healthcare and sports bans. And then in 2022, their good friend the don't say gay bill came along to play. Yes. They thought, you know, for good measure, let's go ahead and throw this one in. Um, <laughs> they were like, if it's good enough for Florida. Right. Like, who are we not to copy and paste it? If, we're... <laughs> <laughs> if Texas loves it, we could love it too. Uh, and, th and that's really interesting, right? Because, you know, our Southern neighbors, Louisiana is a little bit different, even when the national scene was getting more and more grim. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what's happening at the national stage, interviewees are pointing out the effect of Trump being elected in 2016, mm -hmm. shenanigans related to the pandemic, where it was a political stance to act like you didn't care about it and to use it as fodder to find new people to pick on. Literally. Literally. And finding an enemy like trans people, especially like trans trans children is of course you know a distraction a way to distract people from all sorts of things that you want to get away with and that's what we're seeing all over the nation and you know what else we're seeing all over the nation too is like each year there being an increase of the numbers of deaths of trans women of color and the fact that none of those things come up in any like we try and bring them up but even as we're seeing right alongside the increase of like anti-trans legislation is the increase of like trans people being killed and murdered every year 
both by interpersonal and state-sanctioned violence. And sorry, not to like get too grim on us, but <laughs> alongside these national trends, the same worldwide trend of trans people dying at disproportionate rates to their percentage of the population is increasing as well. One of the major things that sets Louisiana apart from our southern neighbors and from a lot of states across the country is that over the last decade or so, there have been trans people in the Capitol working there, getting to know the lawmakers, making their presence known, doing education. And that made it harder for any specifically anti-trans legislation to hang on and grow roots here. Let's hear from Peyton Rose Michelle about that. Peyton is the executive director of the Louisiana Trans Advocates, which is our statewide trans and gender nonconforming organization. As trans people, we've been really grateful here in Louisiana that we've been in the building for a decade. So legislators really know trans people. The same tactics that work in other states don't work here as easily, I'll say, because we've been in the building educating people about trans issues and trans people. So most of these people have already been introduced to trans people. We were really grateful to have that kind of history and presence in, in the building. We'll also hear from Corinne, who we heard from above. We have been even still relatively insulated here in Louisiana. Our neighboring states, the several anti-trans bills introduced, the South is a hotbed for this stuff. But here in Louisiana, we have a really great track record. And I think that's due to the efforts of trans people over the last 10 years or so to be present and visible at the Capitol and in the political process. But I'm, I'm, I'm obviously worried that we will pick up all the bills that are landing in other places. But I also think that we're better prepared than a lot of other places that have seen those. And we've demonstrated our power several times over the past few years in terms of ginning up a massive response when an anti-trans bill is filed. We're able to drive media coverage, to drive organizing impact, to drive calls because of the work that's been put in, in the past in a way that our opponents have to account for and reckon with and build into their equations when they're calculating how far they can push their battles. And so after a couple of years of being able to avoid trans-specific shenanigans, all that's been going on across the country, Louisiana finally gets noticed, right? And I think there's a kind of a lot of reasons why this might be. And I'm very thankful to everyone we spoke to who's willing to think about what was different here Mm -hmm. and why that difference eventually faded to the extent that it has. We'll hear from Sarah Jane Guidry. Sarah Jane is the executive director of Forum for Equality, Louisiana's LGBTQ plus human rights organization. We're now seeing the effects of the 2016 election of Donald Trump and the movement of those types of elected officials, these very staunchly core right people that we've never really seen in Louisiana before. And I mean that in a, in a very weird way. Like, I know that we have very homophobic, racist, older white men. But I was uh, almost like unsouthern of them, right? They were like, I won't vote that way, though. You know what I mean? Like, 
They're like, yeah, maybe I'm uncomfortable with a gay person, but do I think they should be discriminated against? Like, no. And here they're like, yes. Get them out. And it's just like so crazy to me because it's it really has been such an aggressive turn. And with the aggressive turn, this animosity, this hatred that we're seeing is in direct correlation to the increase of power and impact that we're having. It is literally saying, stay in the closet, get back in your place. This is not okay. You're being too strong. You're being too powerful. And we're going to knock you down and we're going to do it in the most harmful way possible at the knees. And we're just saying no. Absolutely not. We're here from Deets. Deets is a beloved medical educator and organizer and works with Title amongst many other projects. I sense that there are more political puppets who are willing to be like, okay, bigger right-wing conservative mission. What do you want me to put on the ballot this year? I think individually, they might not even hate trans people that much. They're just following whatever the larger political strategy is, which makes it really frustrating because I think if you catch any of these legislators like one-on-one and really grill them, they all kind of like back scramble and aren't really even sure how to engage in talking about it. Louisiana is just like ripe for a lot of follow through from right wing conservative legislators who don't even really care what they're bringing to the table as long as it's advancing the larger, the larger picture. I really like Sarah Jane's observation that for a long time, people may have hated us in the Capitol, but it was unsouthern, honestly, to pick on us. Just downright like impolite. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm not going to tell you you can't be here. Whereas a new wave of people comes in and says, I will tell you, you can't be. And we're like, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> no cooth. No cooth. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I do think, again, noting, um, like, shout out to Peyton and Dylan, who are like the, the newest round of leadership for the Louisiana trans advocates who have been around for a few decades, at least, showing up to the Capitol and taking up space and like planting the seeds for then now allow there to be like 50 trans people in the space, which we'll talk a little bit about in, a, in our future episodes. But yeah, even that, like them showing up to the Capitol and having have built a rapport with some of the legislators, um, which, you know, like Sophie just said, <laughs> is like kind of out the window because some people would just come through and just act the fool on like, yeah. <laughs> and even though the national trend has definitely caught up with us here in Louisiana, I don't know that it would be fair to say that all the differences have faded. Here's Sarah Jane one more time talking about the capacity we now have as activists and organizers in Louisiana and how our past moves us forward into the current climate. I think that Louisiana has always been ready for that type of work. And a lot of that, I will also say, goes to the fact that the people in our community now have capacity, now have time. There's an expansion of resources within community that allow people to have the time to volunteer, right? Like there's been so much of our community that has to work and work and work and survive. We're now seeing joy and love. I think that that's really what pushes this community work forward. And that's what, and that's what's killing these bad bills and what's protecting our community from the bad bills. So again, the arc is this. Louisiana, not a great place for trans people specifically, but not really caught up in the national craze of anti-trans legislation until very recently. Uh And when that happened, there has been a beautiful 
coalition of people coming together to push back on it. Like, fuck that. We're not doing that. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. Yeah. We're to it. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah. I hope folks feel like they have got a good context. We're, we're, did we talk about the context of our connection? Like how we came? No, we didn't. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm like, just so y'all know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I don't think we introduced ourselves at all. Right? Oh, I'm just saying, I'll know. Like, we're Louisiana Trans, Louisiana Trans Oral History Project and Last Call Oral History Project are two beloved Louisianian oral history projects, obviously, as you can tell by their names. And since 2021, I want to say they've been coming together to kind of create oral history that it can also be used as cultural organizing, as a cultural organizing strategy, and to tell the stories that are neglected, trans and queer histories. And so... I'm Natalie Neopak. I'm one of the co-directors of Last Call. <laughs> hey, I'm Sophie. I am the founder of the Louisiana Trans Oral History Project. We got the two. We got the two big projects together. What? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>